today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie Now the switch to electric cars could eventually cost the state up to 4.4 billion euro a year in lost taxes. This is according to an analysis by the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council. The council made the warning at the Oireachtas Budget Oversight Committee. It also looked at the cost of helping homeowners retrofit their houses as well as just how much we'll be fined if we don't reach our climate goals. Well, Michael McMahon is Professor of Economics at the University of Oxford and Acting Chairperson of the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council. And Michael is on the line. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Will we start with electric cars because we have very ambitious targets on those, but reaching the targets you're saying could have a significant impact on public finances. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean the main um, the main impact actually in our study of this sort of wider climate transition um, in terms of the impact on government revenue is because of the electrification of the stock of vehicles. Now, this is really not to, to you know, set off alarm bells, but just to get people thinking that this is something we have to plan for because we, we treat currently, and this, all this analysis assumes the current tax system is basically kept as is, but we, we treat petrol or diesel vehicles differently in the tax system than we do electrical vehicles, so excise taxes, excise duties, VAT, motor tax, VRT. These are all treated differently. So if we're successful, and, and as a society the science tells us we want to be successful of transitioning from a stock that's mainly petrol and diesel uh, to a cleaner stock of electrical vehicles, that's going to have these costs. And as as, as you alluded to, we estimate that um, it would be about, in today's money, about 2.5 billion by 2030 and then rising um, to, to, to sort of over 4 billion by the by the 2040s. Yeah, and and I, I hear you when you say you don't want to set off the alarm bells, Michael, but 2030 is uh, only six years away and the fines, I understand, begin to accumulate in 2027. So we're very close to the date when the money starts racking up. Oh, no, no, that's right. And, and, and you know, there's, um, of, of course, being further ahead now would be what we want. Uh, you know, the uh, EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency's analysis says that we're not on track to meet to meet our goals. So, so we are going to have to do a lot more in the coming years. But the question, the, the point about not alarming people on, on, the, on the tax side is um, this just, it, you know, reveals what a successful tri- climate transition would look like for the government. Um, tax revenue numbers. mm. Governments should plan for this, think about how they would either fill that or compensate uh, with less spending elsewhere. That's that's the sort of planning that we need for for, for managing this transition. And it is manageable, I think. So this uh, gap is going to have to be filled. Government needs to decide how they're going to do that. That's right. Yeah. Um, So, you know, at a very basic level, you either cut spending elsewhere or you find another source of tax. And um, there, there have been um, the, the 2023 tax strategy group um, discussed, you know, various options for filling this. And, you know, some of them, if you want to also tie them into the climate transition to sort of help it on its way, would be also to encourage people to drive less. So congestion charges, less driving in cities, um, higher charges for parking, charging by uh, the distance you travel or by the weight of your vehicle. So, so there are ways that they could do it, but these are ultimately choices for the government. We're not here to recommend one or the other, but but we would recommend that planning should start and, as you alluded to, should start 
yesterday. Mm-hmm, because the government, the ambition is that it loses this revenue by by electrifying the, the transport stock, as you say. You know, it's a strange position for the government to be in, that you hope to reach a point where you're losing all of this money out of your revenue pot. You've got to come up with a plan then to replace that. That may not come, though, from the transport system or in transport strategy. It could be taxation coming from another source. That's right. You know, ultimately, this will be a decision for uh, the government. One thing that we do argue, though, is that not just on this, but also on the other side, because it's not just revenue that's affected. And as you say, the the success is the loss of revenue. Um, You know, the the other side of it is that, that part of the transition will involve, say, supports to the farming sector, also supports to households and businesses for retrofitting and making their, their properties more energy efficient. There's a big question mark over how much of that, will, that cost will be supported by the state and how much will be borne by the individual entities. One thing we would argue strongly for is that plans put in place now can provide certainty and certainty will be helpful in getting firms and households you know, and farms along this, this transition journey and not sitting wondering whether I should wait for a few years to buy an electric car because then I'll get bigger incentives. Mm-hmm. If we had the plans in place now when we sort of across government and across society as much as possible could agree that this is the path we're going to follow, I think that would help people with planning. On the other, and we'll come to those issues, farming and retrofitting in just a moment, but on the other side of the balance sheet, Michael, there are things that might accrue that are less tangible, like general benefits that might emerge, health benefits, so uh, uh, reducing costs to the health service if you have all electric cars on the roads because you reducing pollution. That's right, that's right. And, 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 and we're very clear that that is not something that we have, um, we have uh, quantified as yet. Uh, it certainly warrants more work. Um, it's very difficult because, of course, the, the effects, say, on uh, air and water pollution maybe, maybe will be sort of largely determined by Ireland. But the overall effects, say, rising sea levels, are not going to be determined just by Ireland. So there's also the consideration of how successful the rest of the world is in, in doing this. But you're absolutely right. You know, when we get to that point, we may we may accrue benefits that allow us to, 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 to spend more in, in, in other areas because we're spending less on health or um, on, on other things. You know, one that you haven't mentioned is is also the sort of the physical costs of climate damage. If, if we are successful in either making, you know, our infrastructure and society more robust or we limit the extent of these extreme events, there would also potentially be savings on, on, on what are currently projected to be quite scary. You, you, your news article mentioned the sort of the increased likelihood of the flooding there, there are there are numerous projections out there that suggest that extreme weather events are going to get more and more likely, and we know they bring big costs both to individuals and typically also to the state. Yeah. So reducing those would be a sort of a benefit as well of, okay. of getting this right. And we've seen those costs accrue very recently uh, with the floods that we had in 2023. Retrofitting homes, then that's another big one people are concerned about. And as you say, there's some uncertainty there. You know, they know they will get some help from the state as it stands. They have to speculate or. Up front up a certain amount of money in order to make those big changes to the homes. That scheme that we have in place, I know you've you've looked at that, but you've also looked at a couple of different scenarios. So what's your assessment on that front? Uh, Yeah, so so I mean, again, this is this is ultimately a a decision to be made by the government. But but again, 
certainty sooner would help is exactly, you know, what is the exact nature of what's needed. So we have money aside for lots of infrastructure and lots of support in, in even the National Development Plan. We, we have to think very carefully, and, and I think importantly in a very joined up way, about how we can make these schemes not only well known and, and, and well taken up, but also uh, make it easier for households to make the transition sooner. There, there is a huge benefit to doing these things in a sort of what we would call front-loaded way. So if we do more now, that's better than sort of getting to 2028, 29 and trying to rush it in, not just for the climate, sort of the accumulated climate effects that we would help, but actually more importantly uh, from, from our side, just the economic ability to do it. We know the construction sector is under some strain that, you know, we have a huge amount of housing still to build. Um, so having a sort of a scheme that does this over many years is potentially just easier for the, for, for the whole economy to deal with. And, and, and that's one of the messages we try to put out there. Wh- whichever decision governments take on this, and ideally governments agree across the House so that we don't worry that one election suddenly causes the whole system to change. But whatever we agree, if we can get it in sooner and get action being taken now that will ultimately make the whole transition easier both for individuals and firms but also for the for, for the fiscal cost mm-hmm. and it's worth reminding people again that if we don't achieve what we have promised to achieve on this front as well retrofitting we will begin to accrue these fines from 2027 uh, well so, so there's a series of milestones but yeah so we estimate that it's if, they will accumulate, so this is sort of over, over the years up till 2030, it will come to about $3.5 billion, uh, in, in costs. And again, it would grow further after that if we, if we continue to miss um, our, our legally binding targets. So, so there's every incentive to do this, um, but, but importantly, we also need to sort of uh, get on it now and not just wait till the last minute to try and achieve it. That, that's not really a sensible option. Like this is a really serious situation. The timeline is really short because you've just explained to us how much the state would lose in revenues from uh, transport changes, from electrification. Then you pile the fines in on top of that if we don't do what we've committed to, to do. This is, I mean, this is turning into what could be a very huge hole in the public finances. Yeah, and um, we, we, so we've been talking about it for, for well, as long as I've been on the council, which is five years. Um, and I don't mean to add to the, to, to the concerns, but we also have an ageing population that brings huge costs, you know, in the same kind of, well, maybe a slightly slower, but, you know, by 2035, 2040, we're seeing the costs of that. These are not that far away. And so this is why we regularly argue for taking a, a sort of a slightly longer approach to budgeting to a medium-term approach to really look at how, as a country, we're going to address these substantial challenges, but they are, they are, they are surmountable challenges if we plan adequately and with sufficient time. Mm-hmm. Well, and time is, is running out. You touched on agriculture and we've heard from the farmers this week that were out protesting in Cork about the amount of red tape that they feel they have to fulfil. Also the fact that they feel they're being told to do one thing but they're not sure if the rules are going to change and they're going to be asked to do an about turn and do something else. They are very worried about all of this and the state needs to figure out what kind of supports they're going to get to take climate action. What are the budgetary implications of that? Well, I mean, I mean the biggest one would be uh, a decision on how much support 
would be would be given. So in, in the report that, that we're sort of talking about um, by Eddie Casey uh, um, and, uh, uh, and Killian Carroll, um, we actually had two scenarios, one in which the state essentially fully compensated farmers, so a sort of 100% absorption of the costs, and then one in which they did it at 70%. Um, now, now, I actually agree, you know, these are still, these are, these are big numbers and still to be decided, but I actually agree with what you were saying, that a big part of this is just the big uncertainty around it. In fact, some of the work by uh, Chagask and others who, who are sort of closer to the sector have actually shown that moving away from sort of a reliance on beef and dairy, which is a sort of livestock um, carbon-emitting intensive uh, aspects of farming to other forms of farming could actually be more profitable for the individual farmers. And so actually, you know, supporting in a sort of transitional sense those farms to move into, the, into, into these other areas would, would ultimately be better both for the farmer and for the achievement of climate goals. But, but, you know, in a world of this great uncertainty, not sure how which is going to affect them, we really need to sort of start taking the action and providing the supports and the clarity and certainty now. Mm-hmm. Well, it's difficult for farmers because in recent years, up to recent years, they were told more beef, more production of dairy and go as far as you can, as quick as you can on that front. And now it is reverse out of that. So all of that needs to be explained very clearly. And as you say, there needs to be supports put in place and also a clear indication of that fact that you've just explained that you can probably make more money if you get out of beef. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and you know, targeting particularly, identifying particular farms or, 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 or entities that would benefit and getting them across first. But, but again, I, I, I am at pains to stress that we should not view the climate transition or managing the climate transition as uh, as jobs solely for for, for the state, this is really a social endeavour, and you know, but the state has a really important role in setting the rules and, and support and, and getting people on board. And it is about bringing everybody on board with this. And like I say, you you can have some people who would actually be much better off if they made the transition, but supporting them along there is just so key to this. Michael, thank you very much for explaining that all so well to us. That's Michael McMahon, who's Professor of Economics at the University of Oxford and also Acting Chair of the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council.